Good morning, Paul. Come into the office. It's nice to see you once, once again. Um, have a seat. How are you feeling? What's been going on? What are you up to? What, what's the lowdown, as as the kids say? <laughs> oh, Doctor Hammer Schnitzel. Um, I'm just finding that I'm I'm sort of really stuck in a rut. Like I, I just keep reading these events. I've been reading Crisis on Infinite Earths. Then I thought I'd do the Final Crisis. I've done Infinite Crisis. I've you know done Legends and you know I've done Final Night. I've, I've done all the. I've done even Genesis. Even Genesis. Can you believe it? Uh, My God, yeah. Yeah, and I just feel like I'm stuck in a rut, and I, I don't know what I should do. You know, do I? <sighs> Do I read more events? Should I read I, another I, event? I, I think, look, we've, we've talked about this, Paul. Look, come on. You've, you're reading nothing but event after event after event. I, I really think, look, let's... And I, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but I want you to try something different. I want you to read something new. Something new? Yeah. Huh. Okay, I've got just the thing. Thanks. DC OCD, the DC Events Podcast, where we're looking at every single DC event in order from Crisis on Infinite Earths until we get to, oh, I think it's 2008 again, and we're looking at a little, well, let's not call it little, it's huge, it's a a Superman event called Superman New Krypton, and um, this is a momentous occasion in podcasting because I have brought together for the first time ever the preeminent Superman expert and the preeminent Supergirl expert on the one podcast. I'm joined by Michael Bailey and Ange. Hi, guys. Hey there. Hello. Welcome from the other side of the world. (laughs) (laughs) So, we and yeah, we're looking at this event, um, and it's a complex one. It's got lots and lots of pieces. Um, It was all sort of kicked off with New Krypton Special. Um, and then there's a couple of Jimmy Olsen specials in there. There's a Guardian special. There's uh, lots of action comics th- with an annual. There's lots of Superman comics. There's a 12-issue series called World of New Krypton. Uh, there's some Secret Files. There's Supergirl comics. Then there's a little mini-series called Last Stand on New Krypton. Uh, there's a bunch of adventure comics in there. And there's finally another mini-series at the very end called War of the Supermen. And it was all brought to us by um, Jeff Johns, Greg Rucker, Sterling Gates, James Robinson, mostly. Um, and with art by Pete Woods, Gary Frank, Renato Geddes, Jesus Marino, Eddie Barrows, Jamal Igle, Pierre Perez, and a whole bunch of other people. And edited um, by Matt Idelson and Bob Harris. So, Michael, can you tell us what this one is about? Uh, okay, so, where to begin? Because when we, 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 we talked about this off air some time ago, like, where do you start with this? And do you start with the Brainiac storyline that preceded it? Do you start with the Superman and the Legion of Superheroes story that preceded it? Uh, I, I really think to get the entire scope 
of what this st- story was supposed to be, you kind of go have to go back to the Last Sun storyline that started in Action Comics. Uh, this will be brief, I promise. This is not a this is this is not a TED talk, uh, as I joked last time. But basically, Jeff Johns and Richard Donner were writing Action Comics, and they decided to bring back from the movies into the comics General Zod, Ursa, and Non. Uh, and they, it all precipitates with this young Kryptonian boy landing on Earth, and Clark and Lois take him in, and it turns out that he's actually the son of Zod and Ursa, and they get out of the Phantom Zone, they tear a bunch of stuff up, and Chris and the Phantom Zone villains are sent back. Then, many months later, Brainiac shows up, uh, a ship with uh, the Brainiac skull logo, and Superman takes it out, but it ends up going off to the future to team up with the Legion of Superheroes because as Ange will uh, no doubt be uh, intimately familiar with, this is when the uh, Levitt's Legion kind of came back to the DC universe. Uh, is that a fair assessment? The Levitt's Legion, would that be a good way to describe what, what this was? Totally. This was like what a lot of Legion people call this like the retro boot when they sort of went back to that Baxter Levitt's main continuity and sort of just brought it back into the DCU. So after Superman comes back, uh, we have reintegrated the Legion into his origin and we have two storylines. One was called The Coming of Atlas, where this Jack Kirby creation from first issue special because James Robinson has gotten at least three ideas uh, from first issue special and threw two of them into the storyline uh, where this being known as Atlas shows up and is tearing up Metropolis. Superman fights him. And basically the entire point of the story is that crypto is a good dog. There's more <laughs> to it than that, but that was, that's like literally, I think the final page is every as him going, this is crypto and he's a good dog. Uh, <laughs> so as a dog owner, I appreciated that. But more importantly, during the Brainiac storyline, Johns did something that literally the month before he had done with Toy Man, where he basically said basically all of the Toy Man count on some level. They were all like robots created by Winslow Shot. So every time you've seen a Toy Man, it's been a robot. It's either Winslow Shot himself or a robot created. He decided to do the same thing with Brainiac. So every Brainiac you've seen is actually an advanced scout. So pink outfit Brainiac from the Silver Age, robot, uh, cyborg, uh, or uh, android Brainiac from the Superpowers era, uh, Vril Dox and uh, Milton Fine from the post-crisis era to all of the post-crisis versions of Brainiac. These have all just been... Uh, probes for the real Brainiac. So he's coming to Earth. Superman decides to go out and meet him before he gets to Earth, and that is when we discover that there is a Kryptonian city still existing from when... And if I'm remembering the story, because it always confuses me a little, even though I've read it like three or four times, he finds Argo, essentially, correct? Is it Candor or Argo? No, it's Candor, but what happens is that Brainiac actually, in his exploration, finds Argo. 
Ah, Seth. that's right. And he says, you know, I already have a Kryptonian city, but there might be things on Argo that I don't have. So he actually, like, goes on to Argo, like, uh, pillages a few people, including Zorel and Allura, because he doesn't have people like them on Kandor, takes them back to Kandor and shrinks them into Kandor, and then just lets Argo go on its way. This is like if you're buying a collection of Legion of Superheroes books from the 80s, you find all the little miniseries and you incorporate them, even though they're not part of the main collection, uh, <laughs> because it may have information that you need. <laughs> so Correct. But at the very end of that story with Brainiac defeated, Superman in Biggins, Candor on Earth, and at the start of New Krypton... <laughs> Suddenly, planet Earth is plus 100,000 Kryptonians, all with the abilities of Superman. And uh, it just gets wacky from there. <laughs> yeah. Ange, do you want to have a crack at the rest of the story briefly? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I'll try to do this briefly. I will say one of the things that I liked was that, you know, John's really, I think, sort of tried to get the best of the silver and the bronze age and bring them back. Things that I mm -hmm. think people felt were missing. Right. So, you know, like that classic Legion, most Legion fans love that classic Legion. And so, you know, to bring back Candor and to not have Zorel be somebody that shot up a high school. Right. Is like these are good. <laughs> right. You know. <laughs> Um, it, but it is. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you just real quick, Ange, and I'm sorry, because I realized I should have I should have mentioned it. The thing is that Superman post Infinite Crisis was a hot mess. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's the best way to describe it. It started off really strong with the up up and away storyline, which was actually really good because it it didn't really discount anything. And Clark Kent is as vibrant like he is. He is the guy. He is like a top reporter at the Daily Planet. And now that he's not Superman because he lost his powers for a year, he's even more dynamic as as a reporter. And then almost immediately, Kurt Busiek and Jeff Johns go into two completely different different directions with the character, both trying to get back to kind of that Silver Bronze Age feel, but doing it in two completely different ways. And Supergirl, oh, my God, like... <laughs> It was yeah. such it was so hard to read that title because, the, you know, at first, you know, they just made her really angry and then they tried to make her Paris Hilton and then Joe Kelly would write a good issue and then write three piece of crap issues uh, that would follow it. And right before and she got involved with Amazon's attack uh, and which, you know, I think we're all still in therapy over. <laughs> so what you yeah. really have to understand going into this thing is that Superman and the Legion of Superheroes and Brainiac and the coming of Atlas was kind of them writing the ship. So New Krypton going into it had a fantastic uh, chance to make everything right again. But yeah, Supergirl's background like, Zor-El was constantly trying to convince her that she was there to kill Superman through most yeah, yeah. of her run until right. Sterling Gates and Jamal Igle came onto it. So I'm, right. I just I just wanted to mention that really quick. I apologize. <laughs> no, no worries. Because the truth is that, you know, um, you know, I'm probably going to talk a lot about Supergirl in this because she really has a huge part. And this is really right when Sterling Gates and Jamal Igle come on and they do a lot of great things for her. So, you know, like you said. Um, at the end of Brainiac, he enlarges Candor, uh, you know, in the Arctic Circle. All of a sudden, there are 100,000 Kryptonians on Earth. You can imagine that 
you know, Earth folks get a little bit scared about this. Uh, there's a brawl there that includes like Reactron uh, being sent to um, this uh, new Candor uh, that's that's on Earth, and in that battle. Zorel gets killed. So, hooray, we have a great new Zorel who's actually like a good dad and not a high school killer, but he's dead. Um, and that literally happens in the second issue that uh, uh, Sterling Gates has taken over uh, the title. Because of all of that, Allura basically says we can't stay on Earth. So she gets all sorts of crystal technology because we're in this Donner sort of feel. And she creates a new Krypton, an entirely new planet in sort of um, – a synchronous orbit on the other side of the sun. So sort of like equivalent to, I guess, what Marvel would uh, say was counter-Earth back in the day, right? <laughs> so we're in the solar system, but we can't see each other because we're on opposite sides of the sun. But, oh, yeah, there's 100,000 Kryptonians on the other side of the sun, and they all have the powers of Superman, and we've already scrimmaged with them a little bit. So everybody sort of starts to prepare, I think, ultimately for an eventual war. On that planet, all of the Kryptonian... Um, culture that we've gotten used to about guilds like the military guilds and the religious guild we meet all of them um she frees all of the phantom zone villains because she feels like you know their term has been served general zod comes out and gets to lead the military guild and then because of this now new krypton and all of the concerns about that superman says i'm going to leave earth i'm going to live on krypton i'm going to you know immerse myself in that culture really try to keep an eye on things i'm worried about general zod I love my family like Allura, so I'm going to sort of enmesh myself there. And because of that, all of his main titles become sort of other types of titles. So Monel now becomes the protector of Metropolis, dons a super suit that has the S shield, Flamebird and Nightwing, who is actually Thara Akvar of Kandor, and Chris Kent, who was the, slaw- the last son in that Donner series take on the identities of Flamebird and Nightwing, and they're on Earth to sort of find these sleeper agents that are on Earth um, trying to serve New Krypton, and that title really becomes heavy into the mythology of Krypton. Um, so not only Nightwing and Flamebird, but, you know, this creator god Vok and Rao and all of those things. The Supergirl title takes a whole different direction with Sterling Gates, so now she's like a superhero on Earth. But she's also trying to come to grips with the fact that her father is dead and she's never had a great relationship with her mother, but she's trying to become, you know, a better daughter. And she's sort of struggling between what is home now, Earth versus Candor. And those sort of titles move ahead um, uh, with their own stories while we get a miniseries called World of New Krypton, like you talked about, that focuses on Superman. And for those 12 issues, we really learn about the culture of Krypton and how New Krypton impacts really the entire DC universe. It almost becomes guest star of the month as the Thanagarian show up, the Green Lantern show up, Jem and folks from Saturn show up, Adam Strange shows up. And as we have them all interact with, with the New Krypton culture, we learn about what it means to be in a different guild, that there's a labor guild that actually is really like slave labor and how they want to have a new voice. There's a lot of political intrigue about who's really running this place. Is it Allura, who is supposed to, or is it General Zod, who's the head of the military? People get assassinated and there's mysteries that are involved. And throughout the whole thing, one of the best things about this, I would say, is that, you know, Superman existing as Kal-El, a member of the military guild, really inspires people there. He's a stranger in a strange land, but 
you know, there are military people who come to look at his way, like the Superman way of doing things, like maybe ask questions and subdue and not kill right away as sort of the right way. And so you really get to see Superman as a hero within his own people. That then transitions into uh, the last stand of New Krypton. Brainiac comes back, wants to reclaim Kandor. He's got Lex Luthor working with him to try to help him. Earth ends up declaring war on New Krypton. The Legion comes in to try to help save New Krypton. And then ultimately that last stand ends with full-out war. Earth declares war on New Krypton. New Krypton declares war on Earth. And that segues into the War of the Superman. Uh, in that miniseries, briefly, Reactron, who is being tortured by Allura on New Krypton, detonates himself, destroying the entire planet. Seems a little bit crazy, but nevertheless, that happens. Um, a whole number of Kryptonians get killed when Zod puts them in the path of his own cannons to try to destroy uh, Brainiac. That actually happened in Last Stand of New Krypton. Uh, Lex Luthor creates um, a missile out of uh, Ursat's Rao that uh, makes our sun into a red sun that kills a whole bunch of more uh, Kryptonians. But Flamerhood kills the Rao missile, making our sun yellow again. And ultimately, the war gets taken to uh, the lands of Earth, where all of the Kryptonians get zapped back to the Phantom Zone. That is all of the Kryptonians that live. Um, and then suddenly, we're sort of back to where we were a year ago. Um, and then J. Michael Straczynski starts grounded, um, and I cry a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a very brief, I know, because there's a lot of stuff that happened. So if any of you guys want to flesh out some of those pieces, I, um, I'll allow it, because, you know, this is a tremendous number of issues. I'll just add that the Legion of Superheroes um, have been undercover the whole time throughout the story, mostly in the Monel book. And then they all come to the forefront and reveal to Monel his role in seeding the planets with the bottle cities that he re they get rescued, and um, and that's important to the foundation of the Legion and saves the future. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I'll just throw in a couple more Supergirl things that she ends up. You know, uh, there's a big mystery in her title about who is Superwoman. Um, that uh, that turns out to be Lucy Lane, who's working for her father, General Lane, who really is behind all of the evil doings on Earth. Um, and she really tracks down Reactron to try to avenge her father, ultimately, um, but then questioning her what her mother ends up doing with Reactron. So, I mean, there's a lot of great stuff that happens in the Supergirl run. I would say, like, the Gates run is sort of like the high watermark for that character for a lot of people. Yeah, it's definitely my favorite stuff. It's kind of funny because when all of this was happening, I was kind of, like, at my angriest as a fan. <laughs> Uh, and in fact, it was it was during this storyline, like right right before the War of the Superman. I walked away uh, for about nine months and then I came back because I have a problem. And <laughs> but it, it's it was interesting starting to read it because this is all 10 years ago now, which is kind of funny to think. Uh, yeah. Or at least we're in the thick of it 10 years ago uh, now. And. Reading it after the New 52 and Rebirth and Bendis, I think I can appreciate a lot more what they were, the different elements of this that were actually really good, but I was so angry at the time, I couldn't see it. So that's why the reread was actually kind of nice, because I got to take it as a story and not, they're ruining my favorite character. <laughs> Which, uh, which I, I'm actually kind of glad for now, because I know behind the scenes there was a lot of problems going on. It was the reason why Rucka walked away from DC for a while, if I'm correct. 
and he only came back under the auspices that he would never work with a certain editor again. And, you know, you had, you had such a, like, like all of the ingredients are there to make a fantastic meal. Like you've got writers like Sterling Gates who came onto Supergirl and saved that book with Jamal Igel, which I don't think is hyperbole. They literally saved the book. And you had James Robinson writing a kind of an introspective story while tying into the larger things of dealing with the fact that Monel is dying and he knows it. So he's just going to try to live his best life until the end comes. And you had Rucka getting to write Lois Lane again and getting to play around with the whole uh, Nightwing and Flamebird element of it. Because when it was revealed that Chris Kent was, uh, was Nightwing, that, that was a huge reveal because everyone thought it was going to be Connor. That was, that was the buzz. If you look at social media from that time, that's what everybody thought uh, it was going to be because he used tactile telekinesis in one of his first appearances as Nightwing in this story. Uh, and it is actually a pretty good timing, too, because this was when, if you look at the larger DC universe at the time, so Superman's off-planet with his people, Batman's dead, and Wonder Woman is no longer Wonder Woman. <laughs> It yeah. was it was it was just an insane time period for the DC universe, but because Dick Grayson was Batman, that left a Nightwing void that they, they were able to fill temporarily during the storyline. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll say one of the you know that same buzz about it being Connor. People thought for a short little time that maybe Flamebird was Linda Danvers, right? Because she was mm-hmm. like, oh my god, a blonde who's got flame powers and is wearing an S shield looking sort of a thing, and right, you know, like wouldn't it be great if they brought back the Linda Danvers Supergirl? So, so there was a lot of buzz, and I agree with you that it's like when you look, they were great creators on this, and you know, as I was rereading all of this, I sort of said to myself. It felt when I was reading it that it was too long back when it was happening. But now that I read it, it's like too short. There are so many Mm -hmm. things that they just have to drop, right? They start a plot line and then all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, there's only four months left, right? You know, they're going to have to, they just drop a bunch of things. And you just wonder that had they been left to their own devices, would they have uh, been able to sort of really pull it all together? Because it kind of felt a little bit rushed to me at the end, which is, I think, one of my big complaints. Yes, definitely rushed. And there's, I mean, there's Captain Adam backups, which uh, tie into mm-hmm. um, General Lane basically has uh, formed this group called 7734, which is um, hell backwards if you read it on a calculator. And um, they are based in a magic world, uh, and that's where they're launching their attacks from. And that whole story gets truncated and wrapped up in Captain Adam backups, which bring in more Drew, of all people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they have a big they have a big reach, right? I just don't know if it's in their grasp. <laughs> so. Yeah. So what are your biggest deals from it? What are your favorite moments? What are the things that really stand out for you, Ange? Um, I'm going to uh, first concentrate on the Supergirl stuff because I have to say again, like, you know, the stuff that is before Sterling Gates is horrible. And so when you read this, you know, the fact that he brings back Zor-El and Allura, the fact that Zor-El dies, that's a big deal very early on, right? You know, it establishes Reactron as a villain. It really is like one of the first dominoes to start the tension that happens between Earth um, 
uh, and New Krypton. Allura's reaction to that, and Allura is a very complicated character because when you read her in her scenes with Supergirl, she's very um, almost angry and uh, and dismissive of Supergirl. But then when you read scenes where she's talking about Supergirl to other people, she's completely protective and supportive. So she's really complicated. Like, I both loved and hated Allura throughout the storyline, which I thought meant that it was, like, great writing that she was that complicated. The um, All of the culture of New Krypton, especially, like, hearing how the guilds work uh, and how you pick a guild and, and that there's still this sort of, like, underbelly of slave labor I thought was quite fascinating. I thought the religious stuff that Rucka brings in where he sort of, you know, I mean – with those of us that read like World of Krypton and the Krypton Chronicles and kind of know these names to really have him flesh out all of those gods and that mythology, I thought was really great. So I thought that those were sort of my biggest deals that uh, really sort of to learn about Krypton. And then again, like I said before, Superman inspiring people on New Krypton, even though he's really not Kryptonian, right? He's like an Earthling who just happens to be Kryptonian. I thought that was a, a big, big deal. And what about you, Mike? Uh, if, if you would ask 2009 Mike, uh, he would have said this was all crap. <laughs> but uh, 2019 Mike really appreciates what they were going for. Cause, because if you look at this as them trying to, re, to establish a new Superman world, like the post-Infinite Crisis version of Superman, the fact that they brought... It, on one hand, you could argue, well, they're just bringing back things they're not creating anything new and it's still actually one of my major criticisms i don't like the fact that they brought in kind of the donner version of krypton with the crystals and and all of that because i wanted to see what jeff johns and crew would create if they were reimagining krypton from the ground up but when you realize that's not what they wanted to do and the fact that they were not only bringing in designs from the silver in Bronze Age, but also Burns Krypton uh, got checked. I, I, just on, on a macro scale, I appreciate like kind of what Andrew was saying, everything they tried to establish in this. They gave you a world of Superman to kind of dine out on, and you could sit there and just, uh, if you're reading it and just taking it in as you go, it's this, it's a really complicated social structure. It, maybe it was them going a little too hard to make it different from before because Krypton, everyone's perception of Krypton, let me put it to you that way, from the Silver and Bronze Age was that it was this utopia. And Rucka and Gates and Robinson were like, no, it's really complicated. It was a society. They have the same problems that we do. They have the same social structure structure problems and the the inequality between the classes and all of that. Uh, so I really appreciated that. Allura, also to kind of key off what Ange said, I hated her back then, but now I really appreciate that they didn't go into just having Kara's parents be these epic examples of all that is good in the universe. You know, when you go into the background of Allura, she is very tight with her emotions so when you see like the flashbacks of her and Zorel when they're courting you actually appreciate that he was able to bring her out of that and after he died she just went right back into it because it was her shield like that's how she dealt with her grief was just being kind of the authoritative taskmaster uh, i really like 
Lois Lane's end of this. Outside of the fact that they completely ditched the fact that Ron Troop and Louis C. Lane were not only married, but had a kid. They just, and, yeah. and it, the annoying part of it is, is that they mention it in the last Sun Crypt storyline. And it's just like, okay, I could, I could see if it's after Infinite Crisis, things are different. But when you reference it after Infinite Crisis, that was a little, that's still kind of hard to take. But the, the whole dynamic of the Lane family that her father is just this, man that is afraid it's like he he projects this persona of being completely in charge but everything he's doing is out of fear of what superman represents and the added insult that his daughter was the one that made everyone like this guy so again past mike didn't hate everyone hating hated everyone hating superman but reading it now I'm like, you know, that that's an interesting story to tell. Unfortunately, they kept on telling it after this again and again and again, which is not this story's fault. So <laughs> I, so over, uh, my, my final thing is I just appreciate that they tried to tell a massive world-shifting story. And really, up until the very end, were succeeding in doing everything they set out to do. But because of the rush to nature of the ending, it's a little bittersweet. But I liked all the stuff with Nightwing and Flamebird. I liked Supergirl and a new Inspector Henderson was in her title. And he was kind of an interesting character. She was fighting Silver Banshee. Uh, and they did that one issue where Supergirl became Silver Banshee. And it's just like, wow, this is so cool. And, yeah. Even things with Monel, and he brought back the Guardian, and you know, there. What the thing that we haven't mentioned is that Jimmy Olsen's kind of a badass in this story. <laughs> That's true, because he is the one that kind of cracks the code on everything and has to go underground and kind of fake his death until the very end. The shot of him showing up to Lois towards the end of the story, and she's like, "You're dead." I'm like. Oh wow, Jimmy's awesome. <laughs> this is this is amazing. This is them taking all of those Superman family Mr. Action stories and telling them in a modern context without losing the overall coolness of it. Like they're not doing the things they did in the 70s with the and, and definitely didn't have Kurt Schaffenberger drawing it. But but doing that and having him, you know, being the guy that goes and tracks down the guardian who has a daughter that's uh, also his clone and he comes back and he's leading the science police and they have they they used the squad k thing that Kurt Busiek developed it's just i i'm so surprised that i am so positive about 90% of the storyline yeah yeah and uh, there's even Interesting stuff with Steel and his daughter. Uh, his daughter's actually undercover in the um, General Lane camp. And, uh, yeah, she has a really key role in, you know, rescuing people and, you know, keeping people safer than they would be normally. And this is one of the best Thunderbolt Ross stories ever. <laughs> uh, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because even though it's not part of this, it still ties into it. Uh, Superman's Secret Origin... Yep. The whole dynamic with John Corbin in that storyline is right out of the Eric Bana incredible Hulk movie. Oh yeah. 
So <laughs> you're you're kind of on point with the Thunderbolt Ross comparison. <laughs> anyway, so what do you think came out of this? Is it, I mean, is there anything that really came out of this? I, I'm to me, this sort of feels like um, the capstone of the Superman books for a long time because uh, JMS was not interested in playing with anything that anyone did before, except you know whatever he came up with in his imagination, uh, which was crap. And he left before he could finish his vision, uh, which is you know adds insult to injury. Um, but to me, this feels like this is it sort of feels like the last Superman story of the post-crisis era. That's fair. Uh, in terms of, unlike other events where you would get, like, if this was a perfect world, we would have gotten a Guardian title, a Steel title, uh, Supergirl would have continued on her way. Superboy does get his own title, because in the middle of all this, Superboy is alive again, thanks to uh, Final Crisis Legion of Three Worlds. Uh, he is resurrected uh, because it was a BS death to begin with. So in, in a perfect world, we would have gotten a lot of spinoffs out of this. But instead of that, they decided to go in a completely different direction and just, you know, JMS did his story until he left and Chris Roberson finished it out. And that led us right into the new 52. Then over in Action Comics up until issue 900, you had the Lex Luthor storyline which was actually not a reaction to this. That was a reaction to Blackest Night. So yeah. it's, al- it's al- almost like the Superman books, with maybe the exception of Supergirl, just completely forgot that all of this took place right after it was over. And then yeah. by the time you could have come back to it, it's the new 52, and none of it matters anyways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll jump in and I'll say that, you know, one of the best things about the Supergirl part of it is that Sterling Gates actually, you know, picked up the ball of everything that happened in this and really kept that going. So there's a whole, you know, there's the Who is Bizarro Girl storyline and what happens right before that storyline, which is really her dealing with grief that, you know, her parents have died and she's lost her planet one more time. And, you know, she quits being Supergirl for like an issue and then... She actually, her interaction with Bizarro Girl is her coming to grips with the fact of everything that has happened and how to sort of like work your way through grief. So, so I'll say that that his work, I think, really picked up, um, used this as a foundation to write what I think is really his best arc uh, in the Supergirl arc, that um, Bizarro Girl storyline. But like you say, almost everything else is kind of like uh, quickly, um, you know, brushed away. The very fact that you know this ends. And then the next thing is Superman saying, well, maybe I'll take a walk across the, the country and, like, meet people, you know, is like, <laughs> like that just doesn't make much sense to me at all. Um, and I'm, I, I promise I won't pick the JMS scab too much, um, but it really does seem like uh, they just try to forget about this. And I'll say, like, you, you know, we've mentioned Final Crisis and we've mentioned Blackest Night, and I think both of those things have kind of, you know – like Blackest Night was happening when this was happening. Like the Blackest Night Superman miniseries is, you know, the dead Zor-El is resurrected and is attacking New Krypton. Mm -hmm. And how do you deal with the fact that you're trying to tell this story while Blackest Night is going on? This is where I say, like, it's a little bit too long and a little bit too short, right? Because you can't have both of those things happening at the same time. And I think they came up with some BS reason why, like, the zombies couldn't go to New Krypton, right? They built, like, a force field or something. So um, so I think that that's, uh, you know, uh, they were sort of trying to struggle with it. 
And 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 on top of that, because I, I actually covered the Blackest Night issues for the the uh, crossover last year, uh, or earlier this year. It's it's not 2020 yet, Mike. <laughs> May was like five months ago. Get it together. But they had to come up with a reason to have Superman come back to Earth because in the middle of the storyline. Earth, like the Earth is like no Kryptonians on the no, no Kryptonians on this planet at all, and Superman chooses to leave on his own. So to have him back and have him in costume was kind of like 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 Ange was saying they had to really twist that into some knots to get that to work at all. Hmm, I'd forgotten that that story took place in the middle of this, and it's one of the bits that I didn't reread. It, it, it really does nothing for the story. So the fact that you didn't read it isn't a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, And that plays into the writing of this, because I believe Jeff Johns left uh, this story. I mean, his intention was originally to see this through, but with um, Blackest Night developing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger, he um, took himself out of the running to uh, and handed the reins over to um, mostly Robinson and Gates. That was disappointing at the time, because he had just gotten, like I said, he'd gotten his end of the Superman world back on track. And it's just like, he's just like, okay, I just gave you 100,000 Kryptonians. There's a planet on the other side of the Earth. Deuces. And he just kind of walks off. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And you knew, obviously, like, there's no way that this could be maintained long term. You can't have 100,000 Kryptonians in the solar system. So you kind of already know, I bet it's going to blow up again and they're all going to die. So um, so it almost felt like a little, uh, you know, you knew where we were going. Mm -hmm. And that's really the the downfall of this story is it's, you know, at the end, it just starts sprinting towards um, a pre- uh, new Krypton status quo in, you know, there's an issue where something like three quarters of the Kryptonians get killed in one moment. Uh, yeah, it's it's just like, okay, not only are we going to destroy, you know, new Krypton, which happens like super early in the war of the Superman, but then it's just it's like we have to find other ways to kill all these other Kryptons. And it seemed like war of the Superman was just them trying to wrap everything up as fast as humanly possible so on one le- level, it's epic in its scope, but on the other hand, man, I had gone for more of uh, of a of a developed story instead of like everyone's dead, everyone's dead. Oh, here's the DSS Machina of having a Phantom Zone projector. So the ones that are left, we're just going to stick them back into the Phantom Zone, and we're back to where we were before all of this started. Except. Lois Lane's dad ate a bullet in front of her. Superman has lost his people a second time. And Kara has lost her parents a second time. Yeah. It's a really messy ending, which is a real pity because, you know, everything is so well developed to that point. I mean, structurally, it actually reminds me of 52 in that it has so many moving pieces and they're all, you know, working in parallel really well. And then, uh, except unlike 52, the ending doesn't come together. Um, but I will mention my probably one of the standout bits for me was when Lex Luthor, we'll, we'll just call him Lex Luthor for the sake of, because uh, he's actually a robot at this point, Lex Luthor yeah. basically takes down Brainiac's ship by um, unbottling one of the cities and letting it grow to full size inside Brainiac's skull ship, which I thought was really cool. Yes, yes, because uh, buildings are like popping out of the ceiling. It almost looked like the ship has a mohawk because there were all of these buildings popping out of it. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great moment. Anyway, shall we? uh, We'll listen to a promo and then we'll come back for some scoring. Hey, Mike. 
Shag, what? What are you doing in my house? I I had a key made, but that's not important. Anyway, I just had a great idea for a trailer for that cute little network you do. The the Fortress of Bailey Toot Podcasting Network? Yeah, that's the one. It's adorable. I love it. I mean, look at you. Like, with the network and stuff. Thanks. I, I, I think. Anyway, you know how people sometimes advertise something by, like, being extreme and suggesting that you just might die if you don't buy, like, a particular product or something? Yeah, I, I believe those people are called sadists. Sadist? That's one way you could say it. Or guy with a marketing degree. Kind of the same thing. Anyway, we could record a promo where I ask you something like, Mike, do you know who didn't listen to the Fortress of Bailey 2 podcasting network? Who? Gwen Stacy. Really? You know who else didn't listen to it? Who? Thomas and Martha Wayne. The Waynes. And Uncle Ben. Not the rice. Uncle Ben. And the entire planet of Krypton, except those that survived. What about Bucky or Jason Todd? Ooh, that's genius. Okay, we'll say they didn't listen, and then Superboy Prime punched a wall, and then they listened, and they were brought back to life. I guess we could also say that Aunt May subscribes and unsubscribes all the time. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Now you're catching on. I'm not doing that, Shag. I'm not going to suggest that people will die if they don't listen to the Fortress of Bailey-Tude podcasting network, which hosts such shows as From Crisis to Crisis, Overlook Dark Knight, Views from the Long Box, It All Comes Back to Superman, and Bailey's Batman Podcast, and that they can find the network at www.fortressofbailey2.com. Are you sure? I mean, I do have, like, a marketing degree and stuff. I'm, I'm pretty smart. No. Can I at least be in the trailer? Yes. The Fortress of Bailey Tude Podcasting Network. The repository of podcasts produced and hosted or co-hosted by Michael Bailey. Head on over to www.fortressofbailey2.com to download the shows directly. You can also find a master feed of all shows by searching for Fortress of Bailey Tude Podcasting Network on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, or you can subscribe to the shows individually. The Fortress of Bailey Tude Podcasting Network does not suggest that not listening to any of these shows will prove fatal, nor does it endorse surreptitiously making a key to a friend's house for the purposes of busting in and suggesting ideas for podcast trailers. Music in this trailer by Kevin McLeod. So now it's the part of the show where we score this uh, event, and the way we do that is, well, usually there's two people who are the main OCD, and there's one person who is a semi-OCD, but because I wanted to have this discussion with uh, both of you, I thought uh, we will have to randomise which one of us is the semi at any time. So, and your name starts with A, so you'll be one and two on my six-sided die, and uh, Michael, you'll be three and four, and I will be five and six, so uh, alphabetical, no... Um, hierarchy there just to reassure you um so for eventiness so michael what did you think about this for eventiness i'm actually going to give it a nine uh and the reason why that that is is that it feels like an event they they create a structure that this story has a lot of stakes to it you know, you don't drop a hundred thousand Kryptonians into the Earth and it not, and, and then do a small story with that. So you, you compared it to Fifty Two. I've never really thought about it, but at the same time, 
one, you have Greg Rucka involved, so the comparison is apt. But you really did have four different creative teams working off the similar playbook, but each telling their own stories at the same time. And like once or twice they would cross over. You had the codename Patriot story. You had the uh, crossover between Action and Supergirl where you got the resolution because there was this whole drama between Kara and Thara, which now that I say that out loud sounds sillier <laughs> than it is in my head. But no, with with everything, and then even though the ending was Rush, the ending was freaking epic. I mean, they like Brainiac shows up, and then after that, Zod's like, F y'all, we're taking over the Earth. You know, you know, we are the master race here, so we're going to take this down. And the human race is like, nope, we let Reactron up there for a reason, y'all, and they destroy New Krypton. So it's definitely, for me, a nine. And Ange? You know, I'm going to give it a seven, and I'll tell you that from an eventiness point of view, um, I would have given it an eight. I mean, you were nice enough, Paul, to add up the issues. 87 issues in this, right? You know, and really, if you're a Superman fan, this is an event that really just totally encompassed uh, all of the Superman books. So I would have said eight. I think that they were, you know, this impacted everything. I have to take one away because... Blackest Night, I think, just was such a phenomenon that once Blackest Night was coming out, this was like, oh, and there's that other little story that's happening in, you know, in the DC universe. And so I'm going to just take one away just for timing. So I'm going to say seven. Wow, you've actually reflected my opinion exactly there, Ange. So, um, yeah, I'm giving it slightly less. I'm going to give it a six. But uh, let's see which of us is the semi. So I'm just rolling the dice. <laughs> and it's you, Ange. We're, we're going to halve your score. But we rounded up because he did an odd number. So you get a four. Nothing personal. Okay. No worries. <laughs> now, on to the writing. Um, Ange, what, where do you think the writing fits for you as a, a score? Uh, you know, um, I'm going to give it a, a seven because I think that these are really great writers. I mean, when you list these writers, Johns, Rucka, Gates, and Robinson, I mean, these are big, heavy hitters. And like I talked about, the scope, of this story is so huge and i think each of them really embraced their little pocket of it in their individual titles um so i think that this is like a really well constructed story i've sort of talked about how maybe their grasp was a little bit you know they they outreached their grasp because so many plot lines get started and stopped um i feel like at places it was like do we really need to have two issues talking to gem from saturn uh, so it felt a little bit too bloated in some places and but then again the ending was so rushed it felt too short in some places. But you can't forget that, you know, Supergirl, the Legion, you know, all of these other parts of the DC Universe was folded in. So, seven for me. All right. Excellent. I give it an eight for writing. I think it's... Um, one of the things this represents to me was uh, James Robinson was one of my favorite writers. And I think he did some really fantastic stuff. And then he went through this awkward patch, I thought, where his writing was... Uh, not up to his usual standard. And I felt like this story was a return to form for him, particularly with everything that he did with Monel and the Legion and seeding, all that sort of stuff. Um, but overall, I thought everyone is doing a really good job, and I think any impacts or deficiencies in writing, they must come from editorial and, and the interference. And, you know, mm. I've heard Greg Rucker tell me explicitly that there were, you know, things that they were, he was trying to do that were, you know, shut down by um, certain people. 
and um, it led to it was one of the factors that led him to walk away from DC at this time. So you know, I think it's really strongly written, um, and I really admire the way they were trying to return um, a sort of epicness to the uh, Superman books that's probably been missing for quite some time. So I'm giving it an eight. Um, Michael, what about you? I was going to give it an eight uh, because basically for everything you guys just said, I I think everybody was in top form. Robinson got a little introspect, more introspective than the other two with Monel, but I, I think for what he was writing, he was doing a great job with it. And I am a mark for Greg Rucka and I am a, and uh, Sterling Gates became a, a, a quick favorite. The reason why I'm giving it a seven uh because, again, like you guys said, it got a little rushed at the end, which kind of you do have to factor in. I'm giving it a seven, and it's and it's all Greg Rucka and James Robinson's fault. There is a scene in one of the early issues of Superman World of New Krypton where he takes down one of the soldiers. And instead of saying, you know, I, I've been doing this for a really long time. I don't just punch people. He's like, no, Batman showed me how to fight. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like... No, no. Well, I'm throwing like every flag in my pocket on that play. So, yes, is it fair to take an entire point away for that one line? And I say, yes, it is. So, <laughs> <laughs> you got you got to be you, mate. <laughs> All right, let's see which one of us comes up. Oh, it's me. I'm the semi for this one, so I got a five. So, All right, so that makes my score four. All right. Uh, now the art, the I think the art is terrific in this. I think um, you know there's a whole bunch of artists, but they, you know, there's quite a unifying style, and it's really enjoyable throughout. And I'm just going to p- highlight one panel in particular, which is from Jamal Igol in I think it's uh, Last Stand on New Krypton issue two, where there's a little Kryptonian girl, and there's some Kryptonian sort of hiking away from the whole situation with Brainiac, and she, you know says to one of the elders that she's been using her hearing to, you know, super hearing to hear what's happening in the distance. And then you see her, her eyes just welling up with tears and the horror of what she's hearing back at uh, the city. And, you know, I thought that was, it's one of the most standout panels I've ever seen in a comic. It's amazing. Um, yeah, so I, I think the art's really strong and I'm going to give it a nine. What about you, Ange? Uh, I am also going to give it a nine. I mean, again, when you look at the talent that's involved here, so Gary Frank, Jamal Eigel, Eddie Barrows, Pete Woods, those are all big names um, uh, and all bring their their stuff. And then there were people who I met, you know, so like Perry Perez, um, who did the uh, back end of the Nightwing Flamebird stuff in that title, I thought has a really great style. And then this guy, I'm going to maybe mispronounce it, Kafu or Kafu, his style is really good. And I love when not Ogidas. Um, uh, so I just thought the art really clicked the whole time. I'm a sucker for Pete Woods, so the fact that he did all of World of New Krypton was just a win for me. Yeah, and he did computer modeling of the entire city as well. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, what about you, Michael? Uh, I'm going to give it a nine as well, uh, because having gone through the early part of the 2000s, where the art in Superman was sketchy at best. And I don't mean like in style. I meant like for every Ed McGinnis, you had like 15 guys that were just awful. Like for whatever reason, the art was just terrible consistently. So by the time we get to this era, it's consistently good. I almost didn't know how to react 
because I like like Eddie Barrows was born to draw Superman. He does such an amazing job with that with making that character look epic. And Jamal Eigel, holy crap! Like he is the guy. He was the adult in the room with Supergirl that said, "I am not going to over sexualize a sixteen year old girl." And he, the the thing he did. And it's subtle, but if you read the stuff before him and then read his stuff, whenever you see her flying, she is wearing shorts under the skirt. Yeah, so there I mean, is, there's no chance of having like a, a little cheek showing or whatever. And I just totally appreciated that. Yeah, I mean, if you go back to my site back then and and just type in bike shorts, there was like there were people that were very angry at him for doing that. But it makes such perfect sense. I mean, it's such a wonderful addition. So. Wow. So, yeah, a, definitely a nine. Uh, it got a little rushed towards the end, which is why it doesn't get a 10. But when these guys were on their game, it was and, and I, I have to admit, uh, World of New Krypton was not my favorite title artistically. But on the other hand, it looked amazing. And the storytelling was so clear on every page. So it's one of those things where my, my taste gets overruled by my objectivity about the art. So, yeah, definitely a nine. Wow. All right, let's do the roll. Oh, it's you, Michael. This seems really uh, fair. So, yeah, all right, yes. you can yeah. five. <laughs> all right. Um, all right, Michael, do you want to take us home? What do you think of the impact and legacy on this? Unfortunately, there really isn't any. <laughs> uh, it, even at the end of the story, there wasn't... Uh, a whole lot in terms of this story having an impact because the new, and it's not just because of the new 52 uh, though that plays a large part of it uh, they completely rebooted the universe you can try to tell me that it's not a reboot and I'm still going to call you a liar Dan Didio. Uh <laughs> and then even when they brought things back the General Zod that exists today in the comics is not this General Zod so I, I actually kind of sad, but I got to give it a one uh, in terms of impact because beyond itself, it really doesn't have nothing continue, outside of the Supergirl series, which ended a year later. There, there is no significant impact to this day from the storyline. Yeah, and Ange, do you, do you uh, have a score? Yeah, I'm going to give it three just because I can't. Um, I can't ignore how excellent the Supergirl title was after this, as long as uh, Sterling Gates and Jamal Igel are on it. Those stories are just so great. But as you say, everything that this brought in was taken away almost immediately afterwards. So that's a very, very biased score. And even then, it's just the three. Wow. I, I'm also going to give it a three. I, I do think this, the Sterling Gates, uh, Jamal Igel, Supergirl stuff has sort of lasted on, and some of it lives on in the TV show. Um, yeah, there, there's, you know, this characterization of, uh, Supergirl is, it's what you, you want to see and, you know, and it's, it's amazing that, uh, DC can't get Supergirl right over and over again. Um, yeah, but as far as Impact and Legacy, I mean, this story is basically forgotten. I mean, DC have, uh, they collected it all at the time when it came out in many, many volumes, which, uh... This was an absolute bitch to read because it's really hard to say where you start, where you stop, what order, etc. So, I mean, if you want to read this story, you pretty much need to have the DC Universe app and Wikipedia open to say, okay, which is the first part of it? 
and even then, I kept revising where my starting point was. Like I kept saying, "Oh, do I, do I should I read uh, Last Sun?" And then I thought, "Oh, maybe I should read Secret Origin." Oh, you know. And you could even go back to the Lightning Saga because that's the first hint of Legionnaires being in the past. And uh, yeah, so for that for that reason, it's you know it really is forgotten. There's no reason there's you know in a world where we are getting a Doom Patrol by John Byrne omnibus. That we don't have a new Krypton <laughs> omnibus, really. Uh, two things on that. One, honestly, I think Marvel and DC are putting out John Byrne omnibuses these days just to piss off John Byrne because he's kind of salty about working with them. But two, there is this is going to sound like I'm a cranky old man sitting back, you know, talking about when I had an onion on my belt, which, you know, was the style at the time. <laughs> and uh, you know, just like I'm the guy that's constantly going to compare, uh, complain about this, but there is a Superman bias at DC Comics. Yeah. Uh, even with Bendis on the title, the what everyone is talking about with Bendis is Superman right now, and I don't take it away from them because I'm really excited for the people that are excited about it. But it's not about the ending of the Unity Saga. It's about the fact that this brought in a new legion of superheroes, and they're bringing that property back, which is great. But it seems like Superman is like Bendis used Superman as a vehicle to do this. Now, I know he's staying on the title and they're, you know, even like Event Leviathan, uh, which I am behind on, like everything was set up in Action Comics. And then you get to the first issue and I'm not complaining because I love Lois Lane. But it's like you set this up in a Superman title and then Superman's kind of gone in the first issue now. He probably has a bigger role to play. I'm not completely complaining. I'm not being that guy anymore. But there is a bias when it comes to the trade paperbacks and collections they release. Like, you're telling me that this wouldn't sell given the creative types. And I love the post-crisis Superman, but a 25th anniversary edition of Trial of Superman hardcover? (laughs) Like, I'm going to buy it. Don't get me wrong. I'm. <laughs> it's going to be on my shelf. But at the same time, this would make an amazing complete collection where you put everything in order or have like a big thick. Well, you can't do 87. Well, maybe you can do 87 issues in an omnibus. They're trying. They're, <laughs> they're trying to cram a whole lot of gram into there. But, yeah, I agree with you. If you if you wanted to read this as a collected edition, good luck. Because you're going to be, you're going to have to have the books beside you at all times because you're going to have to keep switching out trades to read. Yeah. And uh, remarkably, there is one little bit of continuity that continues from this story. And weirdly enough, it happens in the Doom Patrol that uh, Niles Calder gets hold of a a Kryptonian uh, to muck around with and experiment on. Um, and that surely has to come out of the War of the Supermen after, aftermath, though it's not explicitly stated. Um, so that pretty much is the continuity injection that uh, comes out of this. Um, and that's ridiculous, considering, you know, by the end of this, the uh, Kryptonians are flying through the White House and assassinating world leaders and things like that. So, yeah. yeah. And all <laughs> forgotten, because Superman's going walking. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I'm giving it a three. Now, all right, let's see which of us... Gets downgraded. Oh, it's you, Michael. So your one gets halved to 0.5 and then rounded up to one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. All right. So let's do some maths on all this. For eventiness, we gave it collectively 19. For writing, we gave it collectively 18. 
uh, for art and covers, we collectively gave it 23, and then we did 7 for all that, and we add all that together, and that gives us a grand total score of 67. 67. So where does this put this on our list of events? Um, it looks like... Oh, okay, interesting. This is uh, right between Bruce Wayne Murderer and uh, just above Day of Judgment. <laughs> That's an interesting positioning. Right. <laughs> yes. It sounds about right, i got to say. <laughs> yeah, I had a feeling it would end up in the 60s, but that's, you know, it's not a bad score, considering, uh, the, you know, the, the way this hasn't lasted, and, you know, we really did mark it down on Impact and Legacy, and it still came, you know, quite respectably in the middle. So, I mean, I would recommend that people, if you haven't read this, it is worth a read if it's not, if you can get access to it all fairly easily. It's, it's, a, good, it's a good, solid, you know... Week of reading or two. <laughs> yeah, especially yeah. if you have the DC Universe app, go ahead, check it out. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a brisk read once you get into the thick of it. Yeah, and I'll say, you know, it's funny with this reread. I entered it and I was like, oh my gosh, I can remember hating this. Um, but I think mostly what I, the thing that really I remembered was just that it ended so very, very fast and it just felt rushed. So that as I was rereading it, I was like, oh, I bet that this is probably going to end up being in the 60s, because that's probably where it deserves to be, so I'm not shocked. Uh, we're good judges. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So we did get some feedback, so uh, Jimmy McGlinchey chimed in on our website about uh, DCOCD 34, the Final Crisis one, and he said, Another great episode, Paul and Frax. I read a reprint over the weekend which had the main series, Superman Beyond, Resist, and Requiem. My impression at the time, and that hasn't changed on the rereading, was that there are lots of very good beats to the story, but I could not get my head around the multitude of ideas that Morrison threw out there. It's a pity, because some of the beats are very good, but they keep clashing with each other. Libra was an interesting character, but he was uh, he was removed almost as an afterthought to allow the story to get to the ending with music and shrinking population and vampiric monitors and the zoo crew and so on and so on. I feel at the end there were just too many comp concepts that were thrown out by Morrison, and they just overwhelmed each other. I did love parts of it and liked it a lot on the side projects. Revenge of the Rogues was a good three-parter, and I loved Legion of Three Worlds, and Tomasi's Ode to the Martian Manhunter in Requiem was very poignant. Maybe if editorial reigned in some of Morrison's flow, we would be speaking more highly about this event. Anyway, enjoying the series and looking forward to the next one on the list. And then we got comments on the next one on the list from, well, Keith Colbeck. Haven't heard from Keith Colbeck online for ages, so hi, Keith. Um, he said, great episode. I've only read the event once. This is about Blackest Night, and now I want to revisit it. On the question of legacy, Blackest and Brightest make more sense if one knows that the New 52 was not going to be a reboot. It was going to be a relaunch with all number ones, but not new continuity. It was Jim Lee and Grant Morrison who wanted a reboot, which is why Johns's book were mostly just carried on with their stories. Once you know that, you can trace the DNA of Blackest and Brightest into the New 52 that might have been, like Hawk and Dove, Aquaman, Animal Man, Swamp Thing, JLI led by Booster Gold, and so on. Thanks for another great episode, Keith. Well, it's an interesting point about the uh, New 52 having pre-Flashpoint um, DNA, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'll, yeah I'll, I'll give that. Apparently my dogs agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it just made little sense to me when, like, Green Lantern and Batman were unaffected and everything else was, so it, that just gave me a big headache. Yeah, it's a mess. 
<laughs> that was actually, in, in all honesty, that was that was the flag I called on that play because they're like, we are starting over and we are so dedicated. We are starting action and detective comics over at number one to show that we're serious about this new direction and just completely ignore the fact that Batman and Green Lantern, who are the two titles that are selling right now, are completely unaffected by this. <laughs> yeah. Um, just a little preview. We will be doing an episode on New 52, treating it as an event. So. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> and we got another comment. <laughs> we heard from Sean Ross and Blackest Night, and he said, Great episode. Laurel is a delightful guest host, and her enthusiasm for the event reignited my excitement for Blackest Night. I loved this event at the time. As a comic collector, I love being rewarded by smart uses of continuity. This book could be a fun romp into horror for new readers and a capstone to years of stories for long-time readers. Someone should spend a month covering this storyline. Smiley face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> JL May, 2019. And... Oh, Tim Price. Yeah, I thought Tim would chime in. He said, Dang, Laurel did a stellar job as a guest host. Excellent synopsis and great discussion about the entire event. Kudos galore. This was just after I stopped buying DC events off the stands, but I did purchase it on a Comixology sale, which led to a completely different buying problem. I enjoyed it quite a bit at the time, although horror is really not my thing, and I haven't reread it since then. This is a good excuse to crack it open again. I bet I'll enjoy the art now that I have a tablet rather than just an iPhone 5. The rankings from you all were more than fair. This is an example of event at its best. Do I regret not getting it at the time? A little, but considering what DC was heading towards, not much. Thanks for another great episode. <laughs> and I think that's it. No, there's one more. One more. We've got Jimmy McGlinchey coming back. Um, another great episode. Blackest Night was an amazing event, and as someone who has been reading the Green Lantern books up to this, it definitely paid off a lot of the threads Johns had set up in the book. Reading the event, every issue had a hook that made you want to come back for more. Whether it was the death of the Hawks, or the gathering of the Black Lantern JLA, or Sinestro becoming the White Lantern... Another good thing about the event was the side projects were very good in the main. As you had already detailed before in Waiting for Doom, the Doom Patrol issues were excellent, as were the Booster Gold issues, where Booster and Jaime Reyes went up against Ted Cord. All in all, an excellent series, and I look forward to you talking about Brightest Day in the future. Yes, so Brightest Day will be the next event that we're covering on the show, uh, though we might have a little bit of a pause to get there, because I am burnt out from reading too many New Krypton comics. <laughs> yes, and Brightest Day, 26 issues plus tie-ins. Anyway. <laughs> but, um, yeah, thanks for coming on board, guys, for this. Um, yeah, now, as we said before, we've got a score. If you want to see the score in context, head for waitingfordoom.com and look at the DCOCD ladder, and then you'll see where the, you know, the event fits in the scheme, and you can see all the events that we've done so far in uh, episode order or in rank order and there's a link to every single episode if you want to listen to anything in particular they're all really really good because i've got really good guests um and speaking of good guests thank you guys thank you so where can people find you online Ange? uh i do most of my social media on twitter um and my handle is at dr Ange 70 uh, and i run a supergirl uh fan site called comic box commentary and i do fridays on the legion of super bloggers you run the supergirl blog mate yeah, thanks. <laughs> and Michael, you're not online, are you? Uh, not at all, uh, except if you go to fortressofbailey2.com, which is home of what I laughingly call the Fortress of Bailey 2 Podcasting Network. 
which really is just an example of my extreme laziness. I didn't want to maintain 15 different sites for all the shows. So I put it under an umbrella. So there you can find shows like From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, Overlook Dark Knight, uh, old episodes of things like Views from the Long Box and Bailey's Batman podcast. And fun stuff coming up next year if everything goes right and we get moved in time. Wow. It's previews. All right, thanks everybody. Thanks for joining me, guys, and we will see you all next time. Well, waiting for Doom next week. I think we're doing. I think it's a new issue, a new Weight of the Worlds issue of Doom Patrol, and then we'll be coming back with Brightest Day sometime soon. So thanks everybody. Bye. Bye bye. <laughs> bye bye.